Hello and welcome to the Comedian's Outlook. I'm Lee Cantony and for this episode I was joined by Jinan Yunus. She's a fantastic comedian, she's from the Middle East. She deals with social stereotypes in a very intellectual, honest and brutal way. I really like that she also does a very good impression of Stacey Dooley too. But in this episode we speak more about how there's still racism in the comedy world and about how that has influenced her success in, in the comedy world and everything. But look... Just listen to it yourself. It's a fantastic conversation. So without further ado, please welcome to the show, Jinan Yunus. Your your comedy has been described as a slap in the face, right? And and, and it says that you shouldn't be within arm's reach. And I'm really worried that in this um, room, where I'm uh, within arm's reach, so I'm in trouble. Purely metaphorical, purely metaphorical. I couldn't hurt a fly. Um, I think... Uh, I think most recently when I sort of decided to take comedy a little bit more seriously, so about the last year and a half, I have kind of been talking more about the stuff that I want to talk about, which is pretty much identity politics. And um, sometimes that grates. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it does. Um, (laughs) But always, it's always sort of, I think, the people that you least expect. So it isn't always the audience, it's kind of, the gatekeepers to the comedy opportunities and I think that's that's where that description of my comedy came from okay for being, being slightly on the edge and, mm, and risky yeah but I think it's really important to talk about those things um no I, absolutely and I think also it's really hard not to get into the mindset of trying to keep everyone happy and be conventional in comedy like I started out in a very unconventional kind of way I had no idea what the business entailed you know in the sense of you do a comedy course, you write your five minutes, you do open mics till you're blue in the face, and then you gradually progress. Like, I had no idea that that was how you did comedy. I just sort of, I remember the first time I I, I decided, I was like, right, I'm going to have a go. I just wrote half an hour of absolute rubbish, found a venue where they had a dropout act at Edinburgh, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to go for a weekend. That is, that, where you went that is what I did. That was my first... That was my first ever gig. That was my first ever gig. And I didn't do anything, I think, for well over, ooh, almost two years after that. So your first gig was in Edinburgh? My first gig was at the Edinburgh Festival. How crazy is that? I had no idea what I was doing. And I think I had three nights that I was there. And there was a show next door at the same time that had sold out. So all these punters turned up wanting to see someone completely different and were sent to my show. So I was like, great, I sold out and <laughs> everyone's pissed and they're laughing in all the right places. This comedy business is, yeah, it's a piece of piss. So yeah, like how wrong I was. Yeah, but you, you also <laughs> got a really good review as well, didn't you? Uh, uh, yeah, it was... Um, like, it's the it same was, guy that as, does all of them. <laughs> I don't think you it's as good as I could have hoped for for performing for the first time. So it's all very weird. I don't necessarily do things by the book. <laughs> no, that's that's good. I think that's why it's, it's particularly important with Edinburgh at the moment. There's a, there's a massive rise of trying to be different to the the sort mm-hmm. of um, funny, 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 big event, <laughs> funny, funny. Um, that's kind of where the sort of the, the Venn diagram of, of like a like a, an Edinburgh show is, but you said you said like now you go towards the sort of identity politics mm. more so than than you used to. So yeah. what what was your stuff like when you first started? Um, well, I I love doing voices, love doing accents, love doing impersonations, and I think it was just a series of weird things that happened to me, and I was just kind of acting them out like uh, a weird experience in a phone shop or a, you know being on hold to an insurance company. It was kind of very very safe stuff 
yeah, for very, yeah. very safe stuff. And um, I think it was when I took a step back and I was like, well, why, why did I get into comedy in the first place? Like, who were my comedy heroes? And they're, you know, they're people like Omid Jalili and Gina mm. Yashere, and they, they talk about their background a lot. It's like, yeah, that's, that's actually what I want to do. But so, so was that was that like a prominent thing in the comedy world when you first started? People doing that. Um, I obviously I didn't I didn't watch a lot of open mic stuff. Um, I I kind of I always watched the kind of semi political stuff anyway. That's what I was drawn to. Um, and I think actually, if I'm being honest, I don't think identity politics is on trend at the moment. I don't think people want to hear about that kind of stuff. And when I say people don't want to hear about that kind of stuff, I mean the behind the scenes people. So the comedy promoters, the gatekeepers to sort of the comedy opportunities, the competition type settings. I think they kind of raise an eyebrow and are like, oh, it's been done before and it's been done better. Oh, I see. Okay. Bit. So do you think, do you think like the homage? His era. Like I, I, I wonder whether if I was doing the stuff I was doing now 10 years ago, whether it would have, yeah, got a different response. 10 years, you think? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. I don't, I, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think it's, uh, hmm. I, I can agree with that in the sense that I, it does become, these sorts of things do become hacked very quickly mm. and, and there's a lot of repetition. But mm. for the last 40 years, people have been talking about their dick sizes and Tinder and dating. And, well, not, <laughs> yeah. not Tinder as such, but dating. And, yeah. And, and like gender And the next 20 years, it's going to be how similar I look to Harry Potter, isn't it? It's, it's that kind of... Yeah. Uh, there yeah. are there I was oppressed because I was um, mentally ill at, at school when I was 15. You know, that sort of thing. Like, um, poor, poor me. But then I think, I think that, that Edinburgh is an amazing festival, mm. right? And it's great for comedy. It's... Is not what it used to be. Um, I've I've never taken a show to Edinburgh because I, I I worry about the the financial implications of doing so. I, I choose not to stay there yeah. for an entire month because yeah. I have to pay the bills and, and live, um, and I don't want to pay off debts for the next yeah. year. I think, like for example, this year I was thinking about taking a two hander to Edinburgh, and then again, finance is a big thing, but also I just kind of wanted to spend a bit of time researching what the big shows that were successful had in their sort of... What made those shows successful? And actually, a lot of the time, the shows that you hear loads about versus the shows that you don't hear about, in terms of the comedy material, they're on calibre. I think that to go to Edinburgh, you need that extra bit of... You need that production company, you need that PR, you need an agent behind you, you need people in the industry to believe in you to get that hype on board. Yeah, And yeah. I think that makes a huge difference. Um, and I think I only really worked that out this year through just kind of trying to watch and step back and analyse and see what was going on. Yeah. Um, so did you go up to just I to just watched. Yeah, I decided okay. to just go up and watch lots mm. of comedy and I think it's really hard when you're a performer to just sit there and enjoy something without seeing all the periphery. Um, in the end, I couldn't. In the end, okay. I couldn't. And um, but I wrote loads and I gigged loads outside of Edinburgh. And I think it, the important thing is keeping up the momentum in comedy. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah, yeah, not letting things slide. And whether that's in Edinburgh or outside, I don't think. 
it mm. hugely matters in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, how much is your? You know, you mentioned that um, with with like your comedy that you know you speak about identity politics. Mm. Um, how much has your Eastern, um, uh, sorry, Middle Eastern um, heritage like influenced it? <laughs> um, I think uh, probably about ninety five percent. I think I've spent most of my childhood and my early adult life not talking about my background and avoiding those questions mm. and I think now it's kind of partly therapy and it's partly a way of me sort of navigating a lot of the weird things that have happened to me growing up and in my recent life with regards to my background so it's a lot and there are a lot of onion layers to peel back with my mm-hmm. with my background so did you grow up in the UK uh yeah, yeah. I was born and raised in Surrey so yeah, yeah. Um, oh sorry do you? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know nothing about sorry. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so, so how was that? How was that growing up in um, sorry? You know, it's it's weird because if you asked me a couple of years ago what my childhood was like, I'd be like, oh, you know, my background made no difference. I don't think I'd have been discriminated against in any any way. But then now that I kind of look back, I just you kind of see all the subtleties. Yeah, like the passive Yeah, passive, passive aggressiveness, yeah. the sort of what, uh, the covertness of it all. It isn't necessarily about being overtly verbally abusive. It's all those really subtle things yeah, yeah, yeah. that I try to yeah. bring into my comedy. Mm. So what, what is something um, I will never understand as a straight white male about your, you know, your background and your ethnicity? Mm, I, oh, I think that's... I think that's a really sceptical question. You're making out like you'll never be able to understand. I don't think that's... uh, I don't think that's fair. I think um, some of the stereotypes that people assume are... Like, for example, I always get assumed that I'm Muslim, which I'm not. I always get assumed that I'm Arab. I'm also not. I also get assumed that I'm a refugee and actually... uh, (laughs) I'm not. Uh, uh, my mum voted for Brexit, and she's from Iraq. There we go. That's a, <laughs> that's that, that. You would not expect that. Um, there you go. With, with comments like that, <laughs> we, we can stand together. You know. I know. Can, absolutely. Can. Like she didn't even just vote for Brexit. She campaigned for Brexit. She flied for Brexit. This is that's how embarrassing it gets. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Does she come fair. to your comedy nights? Uh, no. Yeah, she's not allowed to. Uh, she's see. not allowed I to. Because no, I spoke to someone recently, and one of the things that they said. It's the fact that I don't understand is the point, and the moment and the moment you can admit that, then you then you've already made progress. Is that is that a fair statement? Oh yeah, I, I completely appreciate you asking that question, um, and um, but and I also think it's uh, I also think it's unfair to think it's just the white male stereotype that doesn't understand because I actually it happens the other way around as well. I am. Um, uh, I'm sure you've come across the little experiment I did with changing my name. Uh, yes, yes, Janine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, so I went, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I anglicised my name uh, for a year and I um, requested comedy spots with my real name and my anglicised name um, to the same comedy promoter, the same comedy CV and like an overwhelming number came back with gig offers. I think it was over 80% with my wow. fake name versus my real name but yet it was the same cv so if they clicked on the clip at some point i was going to talk about ethnicity etc so i found that really really i was actually probably quite surprised to be honest i think 
I've always had issues with my name, but in kind of a lighthearted way, like people either assume that I'm the wrong gender, mispronunciation, that kind of thing, but I've, it's never obstructed me from doing anything. But in the same way, the opposite happens. For example, I think, I'll give you an example. So at Christmas, I got booked for my first corporate gig. I was uh, very, very excited. Uh, I know, I know, corporate gig, it was... Uh, <laughs> Three three figure sum for a gig. I was very excited. Uh, Google, it was like for a charity. Google did it seemed seemed kosher. Uh, turned up, it was an Uber Islamic event with a segregated audience, women on one side, men on the other. All the women were in headscarves. They basically knew nothing about me. They just basically, I think, Googled saw the name, Eunice. just saw my name, and just you know, assumed yeah. I was Muslim and maybe Asian. And I was like, hmm, this is not going to go down well. And guess what? I have not been paid. You have not been paid? <laughs> I have not been paid. Oh, no. But oh, it, no. it happens the other way. It's, it's, which is almost just as insulting as the experiment that I did with an anglicized name. Yeah. It's, you're not booking me for my comedy. You're not booking me because you want me there as a comedian. I'm just... So ticking what, your box well, or... what can you do then I mean because then that, that becomes positive discrimination doesn't it so <laughs> if someone books you to I've seen on, on your comedy CV there's you've done um, things like Arabs are not funny and, uh, yeah. and shows like that and guess what I've not been invited back really <laughs> I am um, uh, I, I found I find I don't know if you've come across there are lots there are lots of comedy nights emerging that are themed aren't they they're sort mm. of either themed with LGBTQ exactly yeah. and I think sometimes what ends up happening is when the air, I have to be really careful how I word this. I think oh, when fuck we, it, do what you want. D- yeah. Yeah. It's, I it's think- on the BBC. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've made that mistake before. Um, I think the intention is that they create these inclusive nights and these new spaces for minority groups to perform in but I think what ends up happening is you're rebranding that old school boys club yeah but in a different guise diff- yeah, yeah in a different again, guise again the segregation isn't it exactly. they're getting discrimination against yeah. another group of people yeah um, then again I would say that that people like straight white males and, and stuff I'm, just, I'm using that because it's, it's the most commonly used term like straight white males is the, is the thing that people use with, with racism homophobia mm. um, mm. all that sort of stuff so it's important to because where straight white males have been dominating the comedy scene mm. for 40, 50 years mm. um, and beyond and so it's important that these opportunities are there yeah. but that doesn't address the balance does it? it it doesn't address the issue because the yeah. issue is that every comedy club should be open to all Absolutely. And I want to perform to lots of different types of audiences. I mean, I ran a night called Weapons of Mass Hilarity that was kind of Middle Eastern themed, but it was as in as loose a link as you had with the Middle East as possible, like Jewish comedians, African comedians. And objectively, it was successful. We sold out, raised loads of money for charity. Comedians had a good time. But actually, I wasn't attracting those diverse audiences that I wanted to. Mm. And that kind of saddened me. Yeah, despite I know, yeah, my approach, yeah. and I'm resurrecting it again this year. Shameless plug: November the twentieth, Phoenix Arts Centre. Yeah, this will be out that, Don't worry. Yeah, that's fine. I'll put <laughs> it in the show notes. Tickets out next week. Five pounds <laughs> only. But yeah, it, it, that kind of saddened me a little bit because I mm. want I and I don't know what the answer is. With time, I guess. 
I, I don't know. It's, it's a bit. It's a, I was speaking to Rod on a previous podcast about this, and and he was saying that one of the part of the issue is that, and, and I, I hate using the, the term, but with with um, changes like recently with like things like Brexit mm. and stuff, um, loads of people have just switched off now. They heard that word. That's it. Now it's going to be a political podcast. Mm. Fuck it. I'm not listening to this podcast anymore. Mm. But like Brexit has changed things, and it's and what it's done is it's uncovered like. It's something that has always been there. Mm. Um, the right, the far right wing, that's always mm. been there, and we've just we've just given them a voice now mm. with with such a thing. And so it, it's and it's interesting. Hopefully, that over the next few years we're going to come back to sort of the middle and 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 balance again. But I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not really sure what the answer is. We we didn't sort out the answer in our podcast. Maybe you can help with that. one. I have no idea. But then, having said that audiences are always I've always found are generally the most receptive I think I always I always get like I always get the odd bit of advice I I try uh, from from a comedian here and there that will be like oh don't gig at that in that part of Kent or don't gig in that Mm. part of Bristol but actually I've gone and done those gigs and they've been great Mm. I think sometimes the issues that I come across our backstage. Yes, yes, yes. Rather than in oh, front of the stage. Promoters worried about obsessing yeah, their following or something. Precisely. Yeah. And an example of that is I was asked to perform at a festival that was celebrating immigrant communities in Britain. And it was the, the gig couldn't have gone any better. And I was booked again for the same festival six months later. And the week before, one of the committee members emailed me. Mm really really long detailed email saying in retrospect they didn't want me to perform because they didn't like the content of my material and they were worried that it might upset people and I was like really you're basing that on what were there any complaints no Mm. did the audience enjoy themselves yeah we could clearly see that but there was a there's a fear and the 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 words that they didn't like me using were Iraq, <laughs> Palestine. Sorry, Palestine. I didn't even that. say Palestine. I'm really careful about saying that because I know that a lot of people would say Palestine doesn't exist. I think I used the word Palestinian. Okay. They didn't like that. Right. Right. I just, or, I just find it funny that and, Iraq and, has become such a like, taboo word. And it, right? it's such an inflammatory... And also the ir- irony that it was a, se- a festival celebrating immigrant communities. No. And the guy that sent me that email has a very, very similar background to me. He's like British-born, but... Middle Eastern. I'm not going to give too many details because no, some so people be might be <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I just found that really like, where did that fear come from? I mean, sure, maybe I wasn't his cup of tea, but but did, but, but is that but is that um, a problem with gender in such communities or such um, like sort of upbringings and stuff? Is that something that he's got a premeditated view of you as a female? Oh, I don't know. I would hope not. Yeah. That given he was, again, I don't want to be like this here. I would hope not. Um, what are you suggesting that if, let's say, I was a male comedian and said what I'd said, that he would maybe react different. differently? Yeah, I, don't I don't know. know. The, the, the thing is, like, it's a bit like a science experience, experiment, really, mm. because there's so many variables. It's like you, you, you're doing the, the experiment with um, Janine and Eunice and then mm. um, Janine Young. Is is that okay? So, what is the neutral? What could you do with that to make it neutral? Is it the surname that is is um, is accessible, yeah. or is it was it the first name? I yeah, mean, you... I have I have no idea. I I remember trying to anglicize my name growing up and trying to tell people to just call me Jen, but that didn't that didn't work. That didn't. <laughs> 
no one picked up on that. Yeah. I, I don't know why that is. Um, so, so with um, with there always been with comedy, there's a visual. We're doing a podcast, yeah. and not everyone can hear your voice, and it's just it just sounds like an English voice, so they can't see mm-hmm. the, the, the 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 instant kind of um, um, unique. Um, things about that, that, that people would would notice when you're on stage. And mm-hmm. um, did you find that you had to address those physicalities straight away when you go up on stage? Mm, I usually have uh, one. I think I usually spend the first three opening lines doing that. Yeah. I think my challenge for myself is for the next year is see what happens. Not necessarily addressing it in the beginning. Mm. Um, okay. And, you know, maybe talking, not talking about ethnicity. Like, I know why I do it. it. There's a massive therapeutic element to it for me. But seeing if I can be funny by just talking on stage for 10 minutes about beetroots or yeah. stamp collecting or, yeah. I, I don't know, watching airplanes <laughs> take <laughs> off. I don't know. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's going to be my next mm. challenge is seeing... If I can, if if audience respond in the same way to yeah, me not okay. addressing it, I see. So, do you think that maybe you could create an extreme stereotype straight away, and then completely go against that and do something <laughs> very Western in, the, in all the way through? Everything is very like, let like you say, very arbitrary. And um, talking about like beetroot, for example, <laughs> you know, and it's just you, but you set the scene that you they think you're going to go political maybe yes. with something that's visual yeah. or a prop or something. And then go the opposite way with it, and then the rest. Of the yeah, set actually... it would be. I, I, uh, I think that would be a really interesting. See, the, to me, this sounds like you just you just do this for like fun. You love the construction of of um and and observing how people respond. To yeah, like things. I I love the performing more than the writing. To be honest, I love being on a stage. I think there's this massive, massive adrenaline rush for me, and I. Th- I sometimes struggle with writing mm, and yeah. a lot of the time the material I use on stage is not something that I've sat in a little coffee shop for three mm. hours typing away on a laptop. It's something that's come to me on the way home looking out a train window. And I I don't know if that... I, I think... I don't know. I think every comedian has fresh. a different way of doing it. And so, um, yeah, I really love to see what reactions I can get. Do you tell stories? Do you take people on a journey, do you usually? I try to. Try I think to. I... I, I think that's where I want to get to. I want to be able to... Uh, I'm going to have to uh, name drop Jess Foster Q. I saw her show at the Edinburgh Festival this year and it was just mind-blowing. And it was literally a story for an hour with one really cool theme that was just so beautifully brought together. And I think that that is where I want to get to, is be able to tell one story. I, mm. I'm, I'm definitely not there yet and I might never get there but I think there's something really satisfying in that. She, she's a fantastic so, comedian. I've seen her work yeah. and she's, she's really doing well now. I think she had a really good end friend yeah. as well, which yeah. is just a testament to her talents and stuff. Yeah. But and So do you want to have a cup of tea? Do you want to drink to where it goes cold? <laughs> yeah. It's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> I just said it. Uh, Rod was amazing at it. Rod was really good at putting the okay, cups okay, down. Okay, now, now mm. that's, that's set the bar. I'm going to have to be really Yeah, good. he was quieter than that. I don't know how he did it. I'm not sure. It must be there. It's, it's quite. It's a quite weird. It's a very weird shape. Well, you really have to tip it, don't you? You really have to tip the cup to to get a drink out of it. Yeah, Can't boil. This is all. This is all being recorded. So um, bear with us, listener, while we just uh, 
pour our tea another glass of water cool do you want another sip before you continue go for it jump back in Uh, I'm not gonna win the think Rod wins (laughs) I'll I'll let you know how it goes in in the (laughs) afternoon Um, so you spoke you spoke a a bit about how you don't feel that there's there's a um, desire for your you know Middle Eastern descent and Mm -hmm, and the content mm -hmm. you speak about when you first started comedy um, when you first thought about starting comedy how represented did you how represented did you feel excuse me uh well the only i think middle eastern comic that i knew of was omar jalili Mm. and i um he was my childhood hero and i you know i think he had a restraining order against me because i was literally at every show that he ever did and tried (laughs) to uh i I tried to meet him once at the edinburgh festival by going at the end of the show by going backstage and trying to get to his dressing room this was like about seven years ago and escorted by security guards so I like he was my he was the only person that I saw that kind of represented me mm-hmm. I also feel really guilty saying he's my comedy hero because there's obviously the the female movement in comedy and he's my he's a, he's my male comedy hero but um uh so no I didn't really see very much on the open mic circuit but um, at least he he opened the doors to such a yeah, thing yeah absolutely yeah. and um you know, with all his Hollywood cameos and he had a TV series. And um, yeah, I was, I think growing up, it'd be fair to say I wanted to be him, mm. but maybe keep my hair and without the surplus weight or the excess <laughs> sweating, yeah. I think. So he was quite definitely... A lot, quite a lot you don't want. Um, you'll, you'll keep your female organs and all that sort yeah, of yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Um, uh, have you met him since? I have. I gigged with. I was lucky enough to gig with him at the Bearcat at the end of last year. Um, I really wanted him to watch me, but he was as a as a diva should, fashionably late, and turned up just to headline. And it's that moment in the green room of not of finally getting to meet your comedy hero and not quite knowing what to say. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was Despite I was just massive fangirl and was yeah. just like, uh, I was, yeah, I was pretty much lost for words, managed to get a photo, but the flash was on. So I look, it sort of whitewashed our faces. So it's a really bad photo, but I was too embarrassed to ask for another one and uh, asked for an autograph. And he was like, I haven't been asked for an autograph since the early nineties. Are you sure? And I was like, yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. Um, oh, so yeah, that, autographs aren't a thing anymore. Autographs aren't a thing apparently, and they are for me. Right? Okay. Have you got a book? An I've got. Book? I've got like an autograph book. <laughs> are you sure got, you want to admit that on a podcast? I have an autograph book. <laughs> so you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just in, you're just in the comedy game for autographs. This I, is, absolutely, I mean, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So um, <laughs> aside from um, discriminating her positively, can you please book her just so she can get? Autographs Absolute, of yes, comedy yes, heroes. Yes, please. Yeah. yeah, I've got I've got Jeannie Ash right now too as well. There yeah. we go. So I might I might be able to die happy. You might be. I, able to I die would happy. like Patrick Kilties okay. as well. Again, Patrick, if you're listening to the yeah, podcast, my old please. mate, please <laughs> give it a shout. Uh, you can call us on one four eight zero. And so so homage. Any any other like female comics that came out since? Because I guess when you came into it, you 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 would have sort of grown with those comics anyway mm-hmm. so um i think uh as i said earlier jess foster q i yeah, just yeah. i am just every time i see her perform just completely blown away um and uh she really stood out for me this year yeah so, yeah yeah 
So how similar are you without trying to steal from her? Like, are you, are you going to use that some of the elements and the techniques that uh, she uses? Or? I, I, I think what it comes down to is just the the journey that I've come in the last few months is realizing that comedy is less of a performance and more of a conversation. And I think that's probably stating the obvious to all the comedians that are listening. But I think I I used to do a lot of theatre, and it's a very very different approach. It's a very re- rehearsed approach, and I think sometimes my style is more standing on stage and monologuing, you know, in a <laughs> classical theatrical way. Um, and it's, it's having more of a connection with an audience. It's like, for example, I think all the comedians that I love, the moment they step on the stage, they haven't even said a word. There's just an instant relationship that they've got. They've their mates with everyone in that room. And I, I, don't know how you get there i think that's i think a lot of it is stage time a lot of it is just keep performing yeah um, yeah I mean, it's, it's um it's consistency is important and and early on you, you're molded by too many different influences mm, as a mm, as a comic mm, and so mm, they're like the new the new um like fashion for for male comics is yeah. is like the james james a cast a kind of mm-hmm. awkward thing on stage and that's the new every new comic that comes through yeah. models himself on, yeah on that kind of comic but yeah. i guess with time you, you grow to, to to just be yourself and and the thing is with comedy like you say is it's it's very like subjective and so mm-hmm. in any room if you, if you go to a shit open mic that's got two or three <laughs> people in the audience and they are comedians then you you've got no gauge you know your 10 percent of three is like 0.3 it's so how can you ever gauge any kind of reaction from that you know yeah. what's that a third of a laugh yeah okay no worries that's all right um <laughs> But once you once you have a bigger room and then stuff like that, and you can perform, you can really say, okay, well, if I please the ten percent and I get raucous laughs from those people, mm. then then I I'm liked by those people, and so there, there becomes like a kind of a general view of what you should be, and yeah. eventually it will, it will yeah. be seen. Um, yeah. Hopefully, you just get your audience, and then you can never die in your ass again. But <laughs> easier said than done. Yeah, it'll make it sound so easy when you talk about it. Like if every single Iraqi slash Palestinian followed me on Instagram, I'd be made. Like yeah, yeah. in the UK, like just the people in the UK, just Middle Eastern community out there. You no. just want their money. What you want? And <laughs> um, you started in 2014. Uh, so yeah, so I dabbled. So dabble, uh, so I don't really take it seriously. It's kind of like the odd gig here and there. And then for the last almost two years, that was when I was like, let's give this a proper go. And and on that, like, you know, you, you're nominated for a BBC New Comedy Awards. You um, got a finalist in the Southeast Comedian of the Year in 2018. You were a regional finalist for two national competitions, So You Think You're Funny and Funny Women in 2018 as well. How much did your comedy and your opportunities change after those those things? Oh, uh, like amazingly, I was. Um, it's really interesting, like waking up in the morning and seeing your inbox. It's like I want to say yes to all of these things, but um, day jobs always interfere a little bit. Um, I think the biggest thing was deciding to go on social media. Actually, I think when after all of that stuff happened getting a I only went on Instagram about a year ago and uh, I hate social media I absolutely hate social media I think it's such a time waster but actually being on that has opened so many more doors like come and audition for this or come and do this night or close the first half of this and actually it makes me more accessible to the people that are out there 
Absolutely. Um, I hate it as well. I absolutely hate um, but it. But it's made a massive difference in the, like a massive, massive difference in the last year. It's almost like you, it, it's, I think, a game changer, sadly. And I think it's not just the UK scene, but it opens up international opportunities as well, yeah, international yeah. followings as well. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, I've been really lucky to be asked to do lots of stuff on radio and all the auditions. I haven't necessarily got to the next step. So not only does it open you up to opportunities, but it opens you up to more rejection as well. It just gives, <laughs> it gives you a hard, it's, it, it's developing a hard skin and just realizing, well, actually, you know, shrug your shoulders. It was great to be in that room with all those people that I probably would never have met. And I'm the only one there that's there because someone found me rather than an agent picking up a phone and just saying, audition our client. So yeah, it's, yeah. So it's, it's, it's really it's good. I mean, it's a necessary evil of, of the industry. Um, like, you know, social media, have a drink here. <laughs> <Thanks. All right. laughs> that was as good. The, uh, you're on par with their vodka. Am I on par? There yeah, we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm happy. For the benefit of the listener, we, we she successfully put down her tea onto a saucer. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Oh, you're not going to believe this. I've just interrupted my own podcast to bring you a short clip from my other podcast called Outlook on Life. It's a fantastic podcast. I do that with a couple of friends. But have a listen to this. How have you been getting on with uh, energy companies, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> There's just constantly more shit that pisses me off. Like, when I get my bills each month, I manually pay all the bills, so I call the water, I'm paying 50 quid a month, I call the gas, electric, I pay 80, 90, 100 pound a month. Between last month and December, so it was August time, so all between August and December, they estimated I'll spend two thousand pounds on energy. Two thousand pounds. Two. So they yeah. estimate they estimated I'll spend two thousand pounds on energy. So would you agree that they've overcomplicated your energy bills? Yeah. And you want to change your energy supplier, but who can you trust? Who can you trust? Well, which you know which, don't you? Yeah. They asked their energy customers to rate their supplier. Okay. They rated their suppliers, the suppliers' practices and procedures against 36 different criteria, including prices, response time, and customer service. And after a thorough review, there's only one energy company which recommends. Do you know who that is? No. Octopus Energy. Right. And do you know what about Octopus Energy? Do you know what they say? You should go with Octopus Energy because energy shouldn't cost the earth. And we know what you're like, Chris. You like to run your, your um, washing machine every fucking day, don't yeah, you? Short cycles. Yeah. Short cycles. Nice. Short cycles. Right? So you <laughs> just put shorts in the washing machine. <laughs> All right. So if you want to offset the balance and be good for the environment, you go with Octopus Energy and you can not cost the earth. Okay. You understand? And most homes could save by switching to Octopus Energy. And their energy is 100 Hundred percent renewable energy. Hundred percent renewable. Hundred percent renewable. I'm not lying to you, Chris. <laughs> have I ever lied to you, Chris? <laughs> I have never lied to you, have I? No, never right. lied to me. And I especially would not lie to you about Octopus Energy. <laughs> All right. So if you if you run over to Octopus Energy's website, you go over there and you just mention Outlook and say that you're referred by this Outlook on Life podcast, then you can save yourself money and you can also save the world. Does that sound good, Chris? That sounds amazing. Yeah. Fantastic. I'll give him a call tomorrow. So, yeah, social media is a, uh, a... I just feel like it's a bottomless pit. That, like, you know like when you send a ping out a tweet or something? Yeah. 
and then just nothing happens because yeah because it just gets <laughs> clouded by everything else yeah and know? i'm sure there are algorithms that are just mind-boggling i there was this q and a i went to with this comedian who i won't name who said that every time she puts out she's got an excellent twitter account every time she puts out a tweet even with her i don't know 10 plus k followers mm. she always has 15 friends on standby to immediately like and retweet the tweet right. so it gets into like whatever twitter algorithm is out there to make it more visible I to see. everyone else so <laughs> yeah i i'm not sure i have 15 friends <laughs> but uh, yeah. i could get on standby uh, let's but... <laughs> we, we could have a little pact right here live pact absolutely right yeah every time i tweet retweet yeah absolutely me, retweet this, that's yeah. how it goes yeah. and then one day we will go viral <laughs> <laughs> yeah but and what's annoying though, like um a comedian i know is a really good comedian i i don't really do one-liners or puns mm-hmm. and stuff like that but um and Mark Simmons, who I think is a really, really talented, he does jokes with Mark Simmons and everything. He he pings out his tweets and everything. And one of his um, went viral a few years back, mm-hmm. and it went so viral that people forgot that it was him that tweeted it. So <laughs> it, it kept getting made into memes and then retweeted and went absolutely viral. Jeez. But by the time it had gone everywhere, mm. like that that complete trail to back to when when he first tweeted it was lost. Mm-hmm. So his joke, if he tells that joke, people are only going to identify it with what later happened with that yeah and so, so he just loses yeah. all the credit yeah so I I, I couldn't I wouldn't do one-liners on online purely for that reason maybe it'd be worth doing one-liners mm-hmm. just to go viral and then then, then get all these people to and come to rake it in rake it in rake I mean, it in and then tell a story and then be like well annoyed even my most well con- my most successful tweet only I think got just over a hundred likes and that was about my name and I was like I think this deserves to go viral which hashtags did you use um oh i don't know maybe i didn't use hashtags maybe it was in my early days of tweeting (laughs) (laughs) she seems to learn to to hashtag everything i look look, i i think people do just talk about what's what's trending and Mm. if you do that then but then surely if you're all hashtagging the same stuff then again loads of tweets get yeah i think you have to retweet the same like tweet every 20 minutes to stay relevant yeah you're only as good as your last tweet. Yeah, what a waste of time mm, that is. Totally. Yeah, unless you're booking gigs and unless you're a promoter, then, yeah. then definitely look at my social media because <laughs> it will be relevant and comedically um, uh, yeah. relevant and everything. So, yeah. good. So, uh, we sort of fallen in the middle there with social media. I, we have. I don't know how we got here. It. I hate it, but I'm, yeah, complicit. I'm part of the system. <laughs> part of the system it's a bit like climate, climate change you know like it's I'm writing a, I'm writing a sketch at the moment or a sketch thingy at the moment and it's all about the a visual contradicting the concept so the person's talking about the big issues and the mm-hmm. big the big important things but then maybe having a meal and contradicting yeah. everything that he's saying yeah but really convincingly talking like, like talking about talk. being a pacifist yeah. and then aggressively yeah, yeah. slicing through a piece <laughs> yeah, of steak, steak or something or yeah, stabbing yeah. it yeah, yeah. yeah so I'm writing that yeah. I'm not going to say much more because it will get okay. stolen and it will go viral <laughs> and people forget that it was me who said it on a podcast Jesus yeah. oh so difficult no never <laughs> guard it with your life yeah so bringing it back to a serious yeah. topic just to bring mm-hmm. time right back down to where we were before <laughs> like what would you like to see in like British audiences when you're talking about touchy stuff or you're slapping people in the face um, <laughs> um just laughter just laugh. if that's too much to ask for I think I think that's oh that's the best feedback that you can get and I think also with me 
recently, especially as you mentioned, I was doing the competition run. I was yes. doing all the competitions. And then it, it sometimes at one point you find yourself, it's not so much about the audience. It's about trying to keep those judges happy. I want to, uh, you know, tick, tick whatever boxes they've got. And then it, you kind of lose track of actually why I'm here and what you're talking about. And I That's definitely so noticed tweaking and changing material in a way that I was thinking, oh, so-and-so is going to prefer that or so-and-so will think that's hack or so-and-so probably doesn't want to hear that kind of topic being dealt with. And actually it's putting that aside and just focusing on what I want to talk about and hearing how an audience reacts, I think. Mm. But it's true though, because I, I wrote, a, I genuinely actively and wrote a set that mm-hmm. was purely for competitions. Oh, really? Went, just a pure just, competition it was, it was, set? It was some, of the, some of the things that I did, like in my original set I yeah. used, like the jokes and stuff. But the whole thing was meant to be about, you know, it was a story, so it was arcing yeah. and everything like that. And you, you put in little elements and you keep it tight yeah. purely because, you, you, you know, you've been monitored on your writing, yeah. not so much your delivery, but the writing, in, yeah. in the new act competitions at least. Yeah. Um, I didn't win any of them, so it's probably pointless. <laughs> but um, it's again, like it is different. Like I know, um, what's it, uh, Richard Todd, who I've had on the podcast mm-hmm. before. He's a really, really, really great comedian, and he he said that he did like the Amuse Muse. I think mm-hmm. he got to the final or one one of the two, um, and then went into the clubs. And he has this sort of um, abstract way that he performs. So he has this. He talks about relatable things in a very sort of frantic kind of abstract way which mm-hmm. people can take a little time to get on board with yeah and so he said that he did that and they need to completely cut and pull out of comedy altogether and go back to the drawing board and and try and cater little bits to different comedy clubs yeah um, it's quite difficult that's really interesting i think i think if you take that one step further i wonder sometimes when i was doing my edinburgh fringe research whether even the stuff that you do in a comedy club differs hugely to what you do in a full hour show as well definitely definitely it does i mean but you can use jokes from those because you you have mm. to try them out in a club yeah. so they have to work somewhere or another in a club yeah i, I, I don't understand it. i i just i guess like you say if you catered your stuff to a competition to please mm. um the judges it's like we're all defeating the point aren't we we're all maybe but then it opens a door so it's part of the yeah. process it's like I don't necessarily think that doing a comedy course is going to make you a great comedian, but I would do one because it can't hurt. Right? And also there's networking, isn't there? Yeah, I think true. networking yeah. is a massive, massive thing. And I think that's where some people, I think I definitely fall down. Networking. Well, Are you networking. like a social I'm not, uh, Like, I wouldn't say I'm anti-social. <laughs> this has been a really difficult listener. This, this conversation <laughs> I've really had to draw from. Like. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. I don't think I'm antisocial, no. but at the same time, I don't. And I think this is just who I am because I've never been that type of person that's belonged to a clique or got in with okay. a little crowd. Or and that again comes back to what I said earlier about all these themed nights and all these ethnic themed nights, or even things like Arabs are not funny. I think. Um, I mean, it might be that they didn't book me again because I was crap. <laughs> that's that's not very very not possible. But then I. Um, but then again, I'm also not Arab, but then they don't know that. And I didn't tell them that. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like I do the BBC Asian Network every every month or so. I do their ladies panel. And I am I feel like the producer doesn't know that I'm not Asian. 
Okay. It's kind of like things like that. I never really belong to a group, and then I get in, and I'm like, but it's not lying. It's just mm, not telling the it's truth. It's just not telling the truth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that won't stand up in court. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. don't know. I'm not. Uh, I'm an introvert. Okay, that's networking so common. Is not, that's so common yeah. in um in like the comedy world, though. Like introvertism. It, mm. it's, it's it's interesting that, like you say, that like when you first started. You, you weren't interested in, um, you weren't able to speak eloquently about um, politicising like race and things like mm. that because of, you know, your, your discomfort on stage. Mm-hmm. But now you can, you just think, well, what's the worst that's going to happen? Right? Yeah, exactly. I what's think the, the stakes are not going to get you, but, Not yeah. going to get booked again, big deal. Or, <laughs> um, I don't know, like the, the worst... The worst audience reaction I've ever had was actually at a place that I least expected. It was... It was a charity gig at a university, a London university. So already you're thinking, okay, one of the most cosmopolitan cities Mm. in the world. It's going to be a really receptive crowd. Um, Charity gig, they're going to be there because they want to be there. And yeah, I could, I didn't even get to, I think I was talking about, again, I was doing an ethnic set. Um, we're not allowed to say the word ethnic now, are we? Are we not? I no, apparently it's not woke enough. Oh, really? It's not woke enough. I apparently think... I'm a POC. I'm a person of colour, which I hate that word. That's awful. That's I, hate that term. To... I hate That's... that term. What? I hate that term. Yeah? Yeah, I really dislike that term. Jesus. Like, I was introduced on stage once. I'm not as... allowed to say Jesus either. You're not allowed to say that. You're not... No, that. you're not allowed to say anything these days. Yeah, yeah I hate the word POC. Or term pop. Fuck, I've never heard of it. Person like, of colour. ahead of us. Like, I only heard of it because I was um, introduced on stage as comedian of colour and I was like, well, can I just not be introduced as a comedian? That, that's, <laughs> that, that, that stands for mm, cock. Exactly. <laughs> I was introduced as a cock. Yeah, that's, nice. It's not... That's my dream. <laughs> well, someday, someday. Yeah, to be introduced someday. as a dick. Nice one. Yeah. And um, we're all dicks. We're all dicks. All <laughs> us white men, dicks. All cunts. It's illegal to be white now anyway so it's fine legal illegal illegal illegal, illegal. illegal. Yeah, illegal. Yeah, yeah. You can't do it anymore and um, no I, I think pop, I've never come across that I, have I, you not I, I was late to the woke it's... one as well and then when it by the time it came and I said it like it was became hack it was like oh I just said oh you woke wanker you know it was just it, for the time I said yeah. it it was like it turns off audiences instantly like Brexit turns off audiences yes. woke turns yes, off audiences absolutely. Tinder turns off audiences yep um, Ubers Dick turns off audiences unless you're a female so I had to talk about it with a female because it's funny now it's funnier for a female to talk about male dick than it is for a man to talk about it <laughs> so what would you what word would you what word would you use if you had to well it's not Middle ethnic. Eastern the Middle Eastern that's it it's okay to be factual <laughs> surely I'm white it's okay you're yeah. black you're black you're you know it's, yeah you are what you I agree are. I agree and I think it's as long as the person you're referring to tells you how they be how they want to be referred to or how they identify I yeah. think that's, that's fine that's what's changed and that's I think I think it becomes lazy just to say everyone who's not white is therefore a pock mm. then you've just you've just basically you've got apartheid linguistically yeah. haven't yeah. you you've got all white people here and everybody else mm. under the umbrella of person of colour I think it's just lazy but you've just replaced mixed race you've just replaced coloured that, that, that's not and it's also the thing the, the other thing is it's like it's an American term POC is it it's like an American export and I think we should stop exporting their language <laughs> yeah I think we should I think forget it's it. like it's like terms like uh, like we all use awesome now or oh yeah my bad like I hate that term my bad and pop just yeah 
Well, stop what? exporting American terms, people. Americanisms, get we out. We need to stop get that. Out. We need to reclaim the English language. Yeah. If we're going to discriminate against anyone, we're going to discriminate against the American Americanisms. Precisely, exactly. Fucking up the English language. Yeah. And all that, yeah. It's Fuck not off. the Europeans <laughs> that we need to export, yeah. it's the American language. <laughs> I, I don't want to insinuate hate or anything like that, but fuck off. Absolutely. Jesus, right, there you go. So that's the Americanism. There we go. Yeah, there's a room 101, that's it. <laughs> that is, yeah. yes, exactly. Frank, you're listening. Frank, get it in there now. <laughs> We've done lots Pull of shout lever. outs to lots of people that are yeah. not going to be listening. <laughs> change your mindset, change your world, they say. I don't know who said that, but no, it sounds quite profound. Like Mark Twain? Was it? I'm guessing. But so, he's American, so he wouldn't say oh, that, prick. would he? No, of What's course he wouldn't. Yeah. Course Again, he wouldn't. Trump's ruined it all. He's ruined everything. Now, you know, he's coining the wrong phrases. He, I bet it was him who came up with Pock. You reckon? No, I think I think or, or his ancestor. It's that? a really old term, actually. Is it? It's a really old term. I think they used it like in the 18th century or something, oh. and they used it as a term for coloured. I mm. think it was like, yeah. Right. So that's no better. There was then. a dero- it had a derogatory history. Okay, so I'm sure the thing is though, like uh, with comedy now, you have to make sure your stuff's not just dynamite for now and bulletproof now. <laughs> That's to be bulletproof for 10 years' time. So I would never dream of being recorded. We've said the word, you said the abbreviation POC. Yeah. I don't know how many times, but I, we can we can have a chat in 10 years' time about this. And I bet you'd be like being yeah. like lynched, the lynch Absolutely. coming after you using that word. Absolutely. That um, yeah, precisely. <laughs> um, I think I've already tweeted the tweet that's going to get me into <laughs> trouble. Okay. And you can't delete that now. It's, it's, it's in the it's no, in the cloud, It's like I'm there. proud of it. I'm proud of it there. Yeah. Leave it. Can you stand by everything you've ever said online? <laughs> no. <laughs> I have deleted things after. Have you? There are, there's that moment where I think because I haven't grown up with social media. Yeah. You you don't you sometimes forget to filter and just say it in your head before you type it out. <laughs> um I've definitely deleted stuff mm. or made a really uh, um a really uh, simple response I've like responded to something online that I really didn't think would get a reaction and then I'd wake up in the morning and there's like 70 notifications of people mm. that have responded and I was like what? No, yeah. this I mean, is not what I was after <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's usually after a few drinks and you get that yeah. following day of guilt oh where, dear so um, yeah gotta be careful <laughs> gotta be careful I, yeah I mean I'm sure I, occasionally things come up on Facebook that I said when I was I don't know, fifteen or something, or sixteen, mm. and like, oh, MySpace is well, well gone. MySpace, now. you were yeah. on MySpace. Yeah, I was back in those days, and then Bebo was about at that time as well. Like, I refuse. I didn't go on Facebook. No, I only went on Facebook because of comedy. Because of comedy, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, so you, I was so you, really anti-social media. That's how much of an introvert. So I, I don't understand <laughs> now. No, I think I actually think now I'm recording this now because. I think there's absolutely no excuse for you to have said something edgy because you're of a, a sound mind and a sound <laughs> sound age and, and mature enough to know what you're saying. Whereas at 15... Yeah, 15, I, have, I have no excuses. No, I have okay. no excuses. All right, you haven't practiced them. You have, have, you ever, have you ever practiced like an explanation for something? Like, what if, what if someone asked me about this? Getting uh, into the end, like, what? I've always... Oh, no. Like what? I don't know. I don't know. You call someone a prick accidentally on purpose, and then and then someone pulls it up in a you know. Because I'm still that type of person where I'll be in a situation, someone will say something, and I'll only think of that perfect response like two weeks later. Oh, that's annoying. Yeah. So I 
I like I'm not sure that comedy has got me that much better at it occasionally I am occasionally I'll say what I want to say but most of the time I'll still like keep quiet and smile politely unless I'm on a stage mm. I think okay you think I think yeah <laughs> or what did I what did I do last week that I I kind of wonder whether it was a bit cheap I was doing uh there was a gig and there was quite clearly one Jewish man in the audience who had um, uh, his skull cap on. So, yeah. um, and I, I opened talking about my dad and his um, Palestinian stuff and my name and then had eye contact and then just consistently um, ripped into him for the rest of the show. And he seemed to be laughing, but I think he was just being polite. Um, <laughs> and I... I worry that maybe I shouldn't have done that. But in, in the reality, I would never have done that in any other setting. But it was a comedy scene. It, it was a comedy like was scene. Appropriate... And I, I'm not even sure that I thought about it. It's that kind of off the cuff, you just say it because it's in front of you kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. There's no filter. And I think sometimes you have that no filter moment where you just say something and it's not been processed in mm. your head. Just to caveat that, she isn't anti-Semitic or not, anything like that. No, no. <laughs> <The fact laughs> I have loads of Jewish friends, you know. Well, I would have if yeah. I was ever allowed across Back, the border yeah. into North London. But hey, mm. you know. Oh, that's, that's segregation there in London. I can't believe it, yeah. So um, have you found... Have you found it difficult sometimes when you're with a slightly um, sort of right-wing audience with heckles and things like that? Um, I think I was trying to tell you about my right-wing audience, my one really right-wing audience experience, which was the charity gig mm. in London. And yes. I think I only got to about four minutes of my set and there was this guy that just kept at me um, and just heckling and interrupting and being very rude throughout. And I just essentially wrapped up what I was saying and I was like I don't really need to be here I'm doing this as a favor and I've got a paid gig to be at and I left and that was probably the worst that was the worst experience I've had mm. I think so how did you pick yourself up from that because you went um, from that gig to a paid gig so I think like I I was kind of I was seething <laughs> a little bit on the tube on my way to the next gig um and I think what upset me more than anything was the fact that the organizers didn't say anything mm. didn't address it well at least the mc acted as, as no neither did the mc um and they just sort of and i could i could understand if someone if if they were an inexperienced and they might have been a little scared because mm. it's not something you expect and it wasn't particularly pleasant for the whole room or me but to not acknowledge it, I think. It just kind of pretend it didn't yeah. happen. Yeah, and also not even... I think if, if I was in their place, I would at least make sure that the person who left, who'd experienced it, was okay. So I didn't even get, you know, like a text going, are you all right? I'm sorry that really? happened. I know it's not their fault, but the are you okay, I think would have spoken volumes. Well, I've, I've been a promoter myself, right? And I, I run a, a comedy club in Cambridge. Um, yeah. It's on hiatus at the moment while I'm writing a new show um, for it. And and like, if I, I think you have a duty of care as a promoter, as someone who runs a yeah, show. Yeah, I think... Yeah, and I think, that's, I think that upset me more than anything mm. is the yeah. response of everyone else that was there. It actually took another audience member 
to come up to me as I was leaving saying, I'm sorry that happened, or are you all right? Mm. And that shouldn't, it shouldn't have been an audience member that said that or an audience right. member saying, we really were enjoying what you were saying. We would wish you'd stay, done the whole thing. Mm. I'm sorry for that man over there. Um, because the yeah. other thing is, the other thing I was on that is that if, um, if a comedian went up and spoke hate to an audience member, then most or all promoters would ban them from that club in the future and not ever give them mm. a gig again. And so, and, and it's, it's disappointing that if an audience member steps out just because they might be paying you or they might be, you know, a customer as mm. such, it's disappointing that they wouldn't step up on that because at least, yeah, as an MC, when I've MC'd or I've seen MC's, if something like that does happen, they 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 may not call them out direct on it, mm. but it will be they'll come up and joke about it and say, look, save the heckling for when the the MC's on, for example, things like that. They're yeah, or if you don't want to be here, yeah, go. there's yeah. the door. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Or so I think that uh, that stayed with me a little bit. I think. Um, Does it alienate you a little bit in the sense, like with with those sorts of audiences? Did you, did you start avoiding? Situations no, like that? I, I think you can't you can't second guess an audience because I've had I've gigged in really bizarre part the corners of Britain and they've been great and really very white audiences and they've been loads of fun. I don't think you can second guess or assume anything. I mm. think. I really want to be able to go to any comedy club in any part of the country and be able to do a good gig and make it see an audience enjoy themselves. Mm. I want to be able to do that. So I, I, I won't avoid, I won't avoid any, any offers that I get. I'll, I'll still go. I think it's really refreshing to hear because, um, and I'm also quite glad that that gig happened in okay. a way because I feel like it was it was going to happen at some point, and um, I think now if that did happen to me again, I think I would handle it better. Okay. And I'd respond differently, and I think I know what to expect from the people running a night as well. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. So you know the pros is you should yeah. trust and don't trust. And-, and if I'm in that position myself, if a night that I run doesn't quite go according to plan, I, I've been on that other side, the other side. I'd know what I'd want to do. Yeah. Okay. So it's actually you, you, you're using it and and creating positivity with it, which is is important. And 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 the attitude of just going to any gig and hoping that you can just be funny is really important because I, I you know, one of the things I like to see is that it's not. And anything could be funny. I, I personally think that certain things that may be offensive should mm-hmm. still be joked about because that's how we, that's mm-hmm. how we talk about them. Yeah. You know, there was um, an image. Um, oh, I can't. I'm not going to go into detail of this because I don't want to yeah. be held to any any um, saying anything. But like, there there was a photo that was published years back, and someone was scrutinised for it. But and all the media got behind this and mm-hmm. then republished that picture. Mm-hmm. Right, but the fact that they republished that picture—if that picture <laughs> is the one that's offensive by yeah. seeing it is causing yeah. offence—and <laughs> you're a journalist republishing it, yeah. then you've taken all the context out of, yes. of the thing and then just published that offensive picture. I think I know what photo you're yeah. talking about, but exactly. Yeah. So um, it's that's wrong, and scrutinising comedians for addressing difficult issues in a comedic way mm-hmm. and having a bulletproof mm-hmm. joke around that, but just using a subject yeah. as as like the kind of, I don't know, perpetrator in a joke, then I don't think you should ever um, 
you shouldn't silence comedians for that. I think you should definitely be talking about these things. That's interesting. Although I did find one bit of material that I was trying to write earlier this year definitely did not seem to make comedy. Uh, it was not comedy gold. I uh, Do you remember the time when there was a big hoo-ha about Shamima Begum? Yes. And yes. all the interviews that she was giving to all the journalists. Um, yeah, I... That did not go down well. <laughs> I only mm. tried it like once and I was like, I'm not going to be doing this again. Do you know what, 20 years know. ago that would have gone down very well and it would have been a white man <laughs> telling that joke. And that's and that shows how far we've come. That that now suddenly, suddenly you, that even no one can joke about these things because, mm. uh, but maybe mm. there is, but it's been, it was, was it close to the time that it happened? It was, it was like, it was, um, yeah, it was a couple of weeks after she was, she was just seemed to be everywhere in the press and there were some interviews that were done with her that weren't broadcast, mm-hmm. but actually you could get them online and they were just, she was just saying really bizarre things in like, you know... So there, um, there was an angle that the media was trying to go out with the... With I situation. think so. Like, I think she was... She was... Just sounded like a very naive teenager. And I think I was just trying to reproduce some of those odd parts of that conversation. And I think you could just suddenly see the audience going, hmm, <laughs> no. Yeah. And I, there was the, that kind of nervous laughter of... Yeah, that is kind of funny, but I don't want anyone to think that I find it funny. It's that yeah, kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I was like, I'm not trying this again. Uh, too soon, too soon. <laughs> too soon. <laughs> Often with these things, though, people laugh in the first instance because they find it funny. And then they go quiet because they think that they shouldn't have laughed at it. But you still laughed at it. And so... And isn't bit, that just such a British thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. So it's like the the aftermath of guilt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is. But then, but then the, that instant realization afterwards can kill a room. After yeah, you know, there's no yeah. getting that back. Yeah, but, and I and I did that with the Shamima <laughs> Begum stuff. I did. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I I genuinely like. I think I think that there probably is humour around that. Um, maybe. Maybe I'm not. And again, I'm not Mark Simmons. I don't do jokes with Mark Simmons. Mm. I'm not going to try and be a joke doctor now. Um, he's great at that. He's a great podcaster and 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 great comedian. I I would love to. I love, I'd listen to his stuff and learn about how to construct yeah. jokes and all that stuff. And it's really good. But um, you know, maybe with that, if you went about the same thing but used a slightly abstract subject and didn't say Shamima begun, yeah, then maybe you'd be addressing the same thing. The joke is the same, yeah, and it's around the same stereotypes. And it might have worked yeah. a bit better. But. Like, um, yeah, with Stacey Dooley instead. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Yeah. But again, I've, I've been over to Uganda and, and this whole white saviour thing is bullshit, according to them. <laughs> so yeah, as far as, as, far as the Ugandans con- are concerned, I interviewed comedians over there and I asked them about it and they said that... Where did you interview comedians? Sorry, I missed that In bit. Uganda. Oh, really? Uganda. Yeah, so a couple of their mm. big names over there and, and actors. And um, I was asking them about it because it just around the time of Comic Relief when they went. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, was it Comic Relief? Was it, it was Comic Relief. It was Comic Relief. Yeah. Relief, and yeah. she went over there and she got accused of being a white saviour. Yes. And uh, agreeably, she was a bit kind of like, oh, look what I'm doing and all that sort of stuff. The, they, they hadn't even heard of it mm. happening in Uganda. And this was actually in Uganda that she was yeah. at the time. They hadn't even heard that this had happened. 
they had no idea that we'd just done Comic Relief and that Stacey Dooley had just been over there on a general scope of things. That's phenomenal, isn't it? Right? And so, but they said that from, from an objective point of view, because they didn't know it was going on, Yeah. Um, they said, well, if people want to come over and help give us money and help with our stability and help with our sanitation, yeah. we're not going to stop that. The only difficulty they have is that people come over with this aid and with this care, mm. but it gets put into the wrong hands and doesn't get distributed to the right people. And so Stacey Dooley's not the problem. She's raising profiles and getting the message out there. Uh, in her, in her, she does it in a horribly naive I, way. I actually don't stuff, think it's entirely her fault. I think no. she is backed up by, she has a team of produ- very intelligent producers and editors mm. and Danny Cohen, who was the BBC Three, three controller that found her. I think they're very, very intelligent people behind her that have created this Stacey Dooley brand. No, yeah, I think course, she... Yeah. I believe that she kind of genuinely thinks she's doing the right thing mm-hmm. when actually they've they've created all this paraphernalia around yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so she's not to blame. Don't blame her. She's just the, no. the face. No, face. she's um, just the face behind it. Yeah. She's face poster girl. Poster girl. Poster but girl. It's, it's not as if we haven't been I've, like every every time there's a comic relief for a children in need that you know if someone's plugging an album or plugging plugging a new documentary yeah. coming up and so it, it, there is. There is obviously a narcissistic element mm, to these things anyway. But, yeah. But it doesn't hurt to, to help, you know. So I, I think we have to be careful not to But I also think people. the means don't always justify the end. And I think that's that's where the saviour yeah. complex, mm. white saviour complex came in, is that actually we we don't need to post photographs of celebrities holding babies no, without their no. parents' consent. It's... Even if the end is raising millions for worthy causes, I think we need to question the means that we get, that mm. we use. Sustainability comes in, in by, by giving the skills and the resources for the locals to, to stand alone and not need this help. That's the important thing. That's the, that's the main element. But this arrogance that the Brits have and the West has on thinking that everyone wants to live the, like the way mm. we do and wants to believe in what we do and things like that. I love the whole thing in like in, in India where when when you know say, Oh no, you believe in our God, you know, God there's one God and it goes, <laughs> Why would you believe in your God? We've got hundreds of gods, we don't need your God, you know. <laughs> it is that arrogance yeah. that we think that we should impose bacon and eggs and sausages on the rest of the world. <laughs> it's the blandest food out there. Uh, you ba- know, well, bacon roll, come on. No, no absolutely, yeah. Roll. I'm just... <laughs> comedy, come back. <laughs> comedy, indeed. Um, so, what, so what's your plan for the next year? Then? What, what do you want um, to get out of the next year? So I think I am going to go back to being unconventional again. I think I've tried to play the comedy game. Okay. And I've, uh, I'm not sure I like it very much. So I think I'm going to focus more on writing and developing a conversational storytelling style i'm gonna try and be not ethnic or not pock on stage and i think just gigging lots and lots and lots um and not worrying too much about you know the gatekeepers to the opportunities or comedy judges or reviewers i think i'm just gonna do what i mm. kind of want mm-hmm. um i'm bringing back my night Again, okay. and Which I'm that? so called? the weapons of mass hilarity night, and it's it's not really going to have a theme. I'm just going to invite comedians that I like and get on with, whose stuff I think is great. Mm-hmm. Um, it it runs for a different charity every time, so I'm going to see how that fit plays. Have you got a home for that yet? Uh, Phoenix Arts Center. Okay. So uh, really nice venue, and I think um, just keep going. Keep going. Yeah. 
you want to become fully sufficient on comedy? I would love to be fully mm-hmm. sufficient on comedy. So all of those promotions <laughs> that we mentioned today, you know, I, I can't I know that I <laughs> Hey, Frank Skinner, she'd love to be on Room 101. <laughs> definitely listen to the podcast. Um, he definitely listens to the yeah. podcast, clearly he yeah. does. Yeah, great guy. So just, uh, you know, so we've spoken a lot about, about kind of integration and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. How much further do you think, like, the West needs to go to, to, to give you those sort of equal opportunities in comedy? I think we are really, really, really long way off from seeing representative comedy nights. I think if you pluck a random comedy night still anywhere in the country, I think nine out of ten times it will be all male and all white. Yeah. Um, and... I think some organizations out there are doing great jobs like Funny Women, Soho Young Theatre, and they talk the talk of inclusivity and there's, uh, but we, they are separate organizations, aren't they? We want... Comedy clubs. Yeah, we want, want comedy clubs exactly. And I think we're a really, really long way off from that, actually. And... Um, I kind of don't want to... In a way, I I don't have the answer to it. And I think it's about just going on stage and talking about what you want to talk about and um, not worrying too much about a reaction, not taking it too seriously, as in sometimes things work, sometimes they don't. Pick yourself up, dust yourself off, write something else, go to another gig. Mm. It's just... It's keeping that momentum. Yeah. And... In in one way, not taking it too seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any, like, given the fact like, that it's comedy, but it's comedy. <laughs> but then, actually, it's really but easy as a to. We yeah, do take it but seriously. we do. Yeah, that's, yeah. Ugh. yeah. That's, like, it's like that paradox. It's that yeah. paradox that you just. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's, so if anyone is of terms, like okay, so yeah. I'm just going to use a term now. If, if it's the wrong term, someone tell me and I'll reinsert the correct <laughs> term and we, we record it at later date. But, you know, for someone coming through who is like Middle Eastern or POC or ethnic or whatever, you know, wherever they come from, is there any advice that you'd give them to, to, to give them the best chance in comedy? Um, I think just, uh, this is going to sound so cheesy, just write about what you want to write about. Don't try and second guess what an audience wants don't try and second guess what a comedy judge might want don't second guess what a comedy promoter wants i think um i think maybe be yourself uh yeah be yourself i think it's what what seasoned comedians talk about when they talk about finding their voice i think i interpret that as finding your truest self on stage yes and i think you've got to start from a place where as close to who you are as possible. So writing about what you're passionate about, writing about what you want to write about. Um, when I changed, when I did that experiment with my name for a few months, I decided after that, I've just got to be Janine Young in the comedy world. And actually that is not help. That didn't help me get any closer to finding my inverted commas voice. Yeah. So I think it's just about, writing what you want to write about whether that is about your back whether that is about your background or your identity whether it isn't it doesn't matter Mm. it's um it's an it's a very very personal journey okay so you are now on social media yeah Um, where can people find you here we go so uh instagram janan j-e-n-a-n underscore comedy i did not decide that handle um (laughs) 
And Twitter, um, Janan Yunus. So J-E-N-A-N underscore Y-O-U-N-I-S. There we go. Follow her. Yeah, please. I would be most appreciative. Thank you so much for joining me, Janan. No, thank you for having me along. So that was Gina Yunus. Well, I really, really enjoyed hanging out with her and having a chat about comedy and about all of those things. We speak really deeply about it, and I think I learned a few things from that. But you're going to need a bit of time to digest all of that information. So whilst you're digesting that, why not go over to Twitter and Instagram and follow her. For Twitter, she's Gina underscore Yunus, and for Instagram, she's Gina underscore comedy. And whilst you're there, you may as well follow me. That's at Luke A. Comedian on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. But before you do that, before you run away from this podcast page, please make sure you just hit that five star rating on the podcast. Because if you love this podcast, that really does help get it up in the rankings and all that sort of stuff. And also... Just below that where the show notes are, you've got information about her upcoming gig, the Weapons of Mass Hilarity, which is coming back, details to follow. I'll put the link in there as soon as it comes. It'll all be on social media because you would have already followed her and you'd get all the updated information. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, I'm waffling now. Next week, my great guest is going to be Sadia Asmat, who's an incredible comedian, and you're going to really, really enjoy this one. It's, again, it's another fantastic conversation. Hello, I'm Luke Anthony. Do you love hearing about the stars, careers, lives and mental health? Well, Meet the Stars is a brand new podcast all about that. Join me every week from Wednesday the 2nd of December for an excellent conversation with a different star each episode. Simply go over to members.starevents.online to become a member, which gives you exclusive access to every episode and so many other brilliant features just for you. See you there.